Guys, welcome to the gathering. It's good to have you back. Um, we're starting off a new series, uh, Do Yourself a Favor. Uh, the, the heart behind this series is simply to do yourself a favor. Like I, I thought, I'm like, maybe we should entitle this Treat Yourself. Uh, that would have been, been a very similar uh, feeling to this, is let's just do yourself a favor. What could, we, what could we teach, what could we learn from God's word that we'd walk away saying, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm going to treat myself, I'm going to do that. I'm going to take that encouragement, I'm going to walk out of here um, a different person living a life of purpose um, under that grace that, that Holly's talking about. If you would, though, really quick, let's pray real quick and before we get into God's word. Uh, so bow your heads with me, let's pray. God, I want to thank you again just for this night. Thanks for every person here, every soul that is present. God, I believe that you are a God who works in a way that no one is here on accident. God, I believe that you uh, orchestrate things and you lead us and you draw us to yourself. So Lord, I pray that tonight as we get into your word, that God, you would uh, encourage us, you would cheer us on, you would convict us where we need, and that you would grow us. That our, our faith and our knowledge of who you are would grow and we'd walk out of here different than when we came. And praise things in your name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them. We're going to be in 1 Timothy tonight, chapter 4. But we, as, you, as you flip there, I want to share a story with you that some of you may have heard. It hit the viral world uh, this summer. There is a guy, I want to get his name right, it's Michael Rotondo. He is a single guy, lives in upstate New York, and he's 30 years old. And this summer, he became extremely famous um, in not such a great way because he is the guy, if you watch the news, that his parents had to sue to get him to move out of their house. True story. 30 years old, single guy, unemployed, living with mom and dad, and they had to go to court and sue their own son to evict him from their house. Long story short, the parents won. The judge said, you have 30 days to get out of your parents' house. And he became kind of this national phenomenon of entitlement and laziness. And I found this one interview. <laughs> it's, just listening to this guy, is, you can just imagine the world that he lives in in his own head. It says this. He said, I really don't want to stay there. I've been trying to leave there for a long time. They stopped feeding me, and they cut me off the family phone plan. <laughs> Asked if he thought mom and dad were merely trying tough love, he said, I don't think trying to destroy someone is tough love. <laughs> like, this guy. I mean, like, your parents had to sue you to get the state to remove you as a 30-year-old man out of their basement. Here's the update on this story. He is now appealing, and this is not a joke, he is appealing to the Supreme Court to move back in to his parents' house. You know, he didn't, and, and here's the crazy thing is, he didn't want to leave because of his desire, any, any like motivation of his own, right? Not a, a desire to grow or mature or, you know, build his own life. He didn't want to leave because he was no longer being spoon-fed by his parents. They took away his phone plan. They weren't buying his groceries. And I'll bet you they weren't even doing his laundry anymore. And we laugh at these things, and like I look at my kids, and you know what? One of the funniest things in the world is watching 
your young babies start eating from a spoon for the first time. You sit them in a chair and you, you, know, you get that nasty baby food and you stick it in their mouth and they have no idea what to do with it. It just goes all over and they make really funny faces, especially when like, we give them a lemon or something. And it's like, oh, you know, uh, purely for our enjoyment. But you see, it's like, oh, it's so cute, you know, and they're just spitting up all of each other. And, and it's, it's funny for a while. But eventually, it's not funny anymore. In fact, it's very concerning. Think about it. If, if there was a 10-year-old that we were still spoon-feeding baby food and it was still dribbling all over his mouth, we, like, you'd be like, uh, uh, that, is, is that right? Is that normal? No, it would be, it would be concerning. And for, that's why we look at this Michael guy and we're like, dude, that's funny, but it's really not. Because at some point, whether it's eating food or moving out of your parents' house, at some point, we need to grow up. At some point, we need to say, you know what? I'm in a new season. I need to start doing these things. And at some point, we have to, be, we have to stop depending on being spoon-fed everything in life. Now, we're all products of this culture, all right? We've maybe talked about this a little bit before, like, follow me here, like, growing up, everything is done for you, pretty much all the way through high school. Your schedule is done for you. At some level, your food is done for you. Your schedule is made for you. Your friends are provided for you in some way, shape, or another. They're in your class. They're on your team. They're in your club. Like, everything in the American culture growing up is a little bit of spoon feeding because our parents love us and our culture says it's illegal for you not to go to school till a certain age, so you gotta go and you gotta meet people and interact with people. So a lot of the things that our life is built on is actually provided for us. And when we get out of college, we start to realize, you know what, I, I need to do some things. I, I can't depend on being spoon-fed my friends or being spoon-fed my uh, income or being spoon like all of a sudden, we have personal responsibility. And so tonight, we're going to talk about this idea of learning to lead and feed yourself so that you're able to grow as not only just as a person, but in your faith so that you might truly love serve, and serve others, ultimately leading them to Christ. For the Christian, this is the goal, that we would serve and love other people in such a way that would show them the transformation and grace and mercy of Jesus in our life. So that's what we're gonna talk about, finding wholeness in Christ tonight. So if you're in 1 Timothy, let me just give you a little bit of setup here of, of what's happening is you're probably wondering, maybe if you didn't grow up in church and you're like, well, who's Timothy? Uh, here, here, we're talking about two guys here tonight, Paul and Timothy. Uh, Timothy is a disciple, a mentor, a student of Paul. All right, Paul, the Apostle Paul, uh, we know him from the book of Acts, where he was an opponent. He was an um, aggressive opponent to Jesus Christ. He was a good Jewish man. Uh, he was a zealot for the things of the Jewish faith. And this Jesus guy was everything that he was against. And so he would go from town to town persecuting Christ followers until he went to this place called Damascus. And Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, blinded him, and he converted from a Jewish guy who did not believe Jesus was the Messiah to the guy who wrote 80% of the New Testament. And so that's who Paul is. He's writing this letter to his boy, Timothy, 
who has gone with him on the missionary journeys, who's gone with him to launch churches, specifically in 1 Timothy. Timothy is in charge of the church in Ephesus. You've heard of the book of Ephesians? This is the church he's talking about. So Timothy is now the campus pastor in Ephesus. And he's writing him a letter and he's cheering him on. Because in the very first verse of this book of 1 Timothy, Paul uh, talks to Timothy and says, you're my spiritual son. They have a father-son relationship. And so the, the, the heart and the words behind this book and this letter to Timothy is cheerleading. Paul's like, Timothy, here we go, dude. You're in charge of this church. I'm gonna help you lead this church. I'm gonna give you some, some rules and regulations of how to deal with church, who to put in positions of authority, how to live this thing out. Because currently he is not with him. He is currently in prison in Rome. And he's writing a letter. And you'll see him, when he says, when I come to you, when I get there. So Paul is planning to visit. And so let's pick it up in, in chapter 4, verses 6, and let's just read a couple short verses that kind of set up the rest of what we're going to talk about tonight. Chapter 4, verse 6 of 1 Timothy, it says, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourselves for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For, this, for to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe." Now, what is he talking about? He starts right there in verse 6. says, if you put these things before the brothers. So he's saying, Timothy, when you put these things before your church, the church in Ephesus, well, what are these things? These are the, these are the moments in Scripture as you study God's Word. When you read these things, that's a clue to roll back a couple pages or a couple verses. What is he talking about? I want to highlight very quickly in chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, so flip back about a page to verse 15. And this is what Paul is ultimately talking about, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to his words starting in verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost... Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. These are the things that he's to put before the brothers. I love this verse because you, know you know what Paul's ultimately saying? He said, Christ saved me so that I could be a trophy of his grace. What is a trophy? A trophy is something you get, you put on a shelf and say, look what I did. And Paul's saying, I am the trophy of God's grace. God points to Paul and said, look who I saved. You are not beyond saving. Paul's a trophy of God's grace, undeserved favor. He says, I received the mercy of God, even though I'm the foremost of all sinners. The word mercy simply means he did not get what he deserves. Like we all know what that means practically from like little league softball or t-ball. Like the mercy rule, right? You're pounding a team, it's like 20 to nothing. 
And they're, they're like, okay, that's enough. Game over. Like, that's the mercy rule. Like, what they deserve is to lose 50 to nothing because they're terrible. But we have mercy. We don't give them what they deserve. And Paul says, what I deserve, I did not get because Jesus Christ has forgiven me and paid my debt. He has given me grace, undeserved favor. And so that is what Paul is talking about when he says in chapter four, verse six, if you put these things before the brothers, it's the gospel of Jesus. And you've heard me say it before, and I will say it a million times. Jesus did not come to catch you in your sin. He came to free you from the sin that has caught you. That is the gospel. I grew up believing a gospel that God was just disappointed and mad at me and watching me to catch me screw up. The gospel of Jesus Christ says, no, no, no. He knows that I've been caught. He knows that there are sins that easily catch my eye and that easily catch my soul. And that I'm going to believe things and put my hope in things that will ultimately ruin me and let me down. And Jesus says, no, I will come and I will free you from the sin that has caught you. That is the gospel, and that is what Paul is telling Timothy, put these things before your people. And so I could not talk about 1 Timothy chapter four without putting it before you. Because I don't know where you are tonight. I don't know everybody in this room. And some of you need to hear that Jesus loves you, and he cares for you, and he died on the cross for you. And that his grace, that undeserved favor, is for you. And that his mercy that he did not give you what you deserve, he did not give me what I deserve, is for you. Because we will chase things all day long. Our whole life long, we will chase things. We will chase desires and temptations, and we will chase the things of this world. And at the end of our days, they will leave us wanting. And Jesus says, I have come to set you free from those things. Follow me. With me is life, and with me is eternal life. And that's what he's saying in chapter four. He's like, listen, physical uh, training is good, but training for godliness is good for this life and the next. And so he's talking to Timothy, cheerleading him, pushing him to say, hey, I care about you, Tim. I want it to go well for you. I want it to go well for your people, and I want your people to know Jesus. And so he writes this letter. And so tonight, we're going to actually key in on verses 11 through 16, and I want to give you five things that we learn from Paul writing to Timothy about how we lead and feed ourselves. And this is for the Christian. This is for those who have given their life to Jesus, who are following Christ. And he's saying, Timothy, put these things in your life. You are the pastor over these people. You're the follower of Jesus. Here's five things. And watch how he does it. Let's read the whole thing. In verse 11, he says this. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given uh, you by prophecy when the council of the elders laid their hands on you. Verse 15, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And so we lead and feed ourselves by number one, stepping up and leading out. 
Number one, by stepping up and leading out. We see this in verse 12. He says, let no one despise you or look down on you because of your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Paul's saying, listen, Tim, I know you're a young adult, and people are not going to listen to you. They're going to cast you aside. They're going to despise you because you're young. Ignore them. Step up to the moment and lead out. Lead people to Christ. Who cares how old you are? You have life-giving words, and you have the life-giving knowledge of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Go and lead. Don't let your youth be an excuse for anyone else for what God has called you to do. And I'll be honest, the older I get, the more I, I, love, I love the young adult. Because you guys bring energy and excitement. For those of you who don't go to crossings, we have a Sunday school class at 9.15, and we average probably about 80 people in that Sunday school class. It's the second biggest Sunday school class at crossings. And not a week goes by, and I'm not kidding, not a week goes by, do I not hear a comment, usually from a senior citizen, who is so encouraged in their faith because they see 80 young adults gathering at 9.15 on a Sunday morning to study God's word. You guys are leading this church. You are leading our culture. You're leading our city. And some people say, ah, oh, they're young. They're, they're the millennials, you know, whatever. No. Timothy was a young adult. And Paul is saying, do not let anyone look down on you because you are young. In fact, you set the example. You set the bar. He says four things. He says, set the example in the way we talk, in the way we act, in the way we love, and in faith and purity. Five things. You lead. Tim, you lead. And if you're anything like me, when I was a young adult, it wasn't other people uh, despising me. It wasn't other people dismissing me. I'll tell you who it was. It was me. It was my own little voice in my head. Say, Andy, you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You don't know enough. Why don't you let, let's, let's let the older folks lead. You know what? There's a time and a moment for the older folks to lead. But there's also a time and a moment for the young to step up and lead out in the things of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy Step up and lead out so that you can faithfully encourage and serve others. Number two, lead and feed yourself by devoting yourself daily. Verse 13, he says this, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. And I'll be honest, guys, we're all devoted to something. Look at your schedule. We are devoted to something or someone. If you don't know what you're devoted to, ask a good friend to be honest with you. What am I devoted to? One of the worst questions and best questions I've ever asked my kids is, hey, guys, what's dad get excited about? What am I passionate about? Because they'll tell you. They will tell you exactly what you're passionate about. Because they have no reason not to tell the truth. And the first time I asked that question, it was crushing to me. Because you know what they didn't say? Dad, you're passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ. They said I was passionate about sports. That's what they saw. That I was devoted to cheering on strangers 
that I will never meet to win a game that means nothing. That's what my kids said I was devoted to. And that, man, that cut to my heart. It's like, what, what example am I setting? Because we're all devoted to something. On my best days, I'm devoted to God's will and, and, his, and his word. But on most days, if I'm honest with you tonight, I battle being devoted to my comfort and my convenience. That's, what, that's it. I'm devoted to sleeping in as long as I possibly can. That's what I'm devoted to. I'm devoted to being comfortable. And Paul is writing Timothy saying, no, 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 be, be devoted to these things. Reading scripture, giving wise counsel. That's what exhortation means, to counsel and to comfort and to teaching. He's saying, Timothy, these are, these are, what, a, these are what a Christian does. You devote yourself to the public reading of scripture. Are you in God's word? You're devoted to counseling people biblically, not on your opinion, not on what you think is best, but what on God says is best. And then we teach. We're teaching God's word through our lives and through our speech and through our relationships. But what am I displaying? Am I teaching my own opinions and my own thoughts or am I teaching God's word? And so to lead and feed yourselves means devoting yourselves daily to reading scripture giving wise counsel that's biblical, and teaching. Number three, to lead and feed yourselves, in verse 14 and 15, he says, diligently practicing your gifts. He says this in verse 14, do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of the elders laid their hands on you. Verse 15, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. He's saying you each have a gift. Diligently practice it. Immerse yourself in it. And here's why. Some of you are wondering, am I growing in my faith? I don't know what the signs are. Here's what Paul is telling Timothy. You practice the gift that you've been given so that you can see progress. If we don't know if we're growing in our faith, it's probably because we're not practicing the gifts that God has given us. We're letting someone older do it. In Romans 12, three through eight, read this with me. It says, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encourage, encur then, be, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. What is Paul saying to the Romans? What is Paul saying to Timothy and the Ephesians? God has given you a gift. And yes, it's different than the person sitting next to you. It's not the same gift. But he's telling Timothy, Timothy, you are a teacher. Teach. Some of you think about teaching and you get cold sweats. That's okay. But what's your gift? Are you using it? Are you practicing it? Because how else are you going to know that you're growing in your faith? and that you're progressing in your discipleship. We have a phrase in our family, because we have five children, 
work out your patience muscle. Because our kids, man, they are the most impatient people in the face of the world. I mean, it is crazy. And we're like, hey, work that muscle out. Work, work that patience muscle. Build it stronger. And how do you build a patience muscle? Put yourself in a situation where you have to wait. And I think sometimes we, as Christians, we intake and we intake and we intake, but we never practice and exercise our gifts. We're not strengthening that gift muscle that you have, that God has given each one of you. It could be an encouragement. It could be teaching. And that the one it says, then uh, if it's giving, basically what he's saying is if you got a lot of resources, then give. That might be your gift. And I've experienced this personally in the last two months. Many of you know my mom's down in Houston at MD Anderson. And uh, it's pretty expensive to go down there because she's, she's not in the hospital. She's, she's like got temporary housing. And we didn't know how we were going to handle that, that expense. Um, and there was a couple in my mom's Sunday school class that is also going through the same thing. And they said, you know what, Leslie? God has given us a lot of resources. We're going to pay for your entire stay. What? Of course, my mom was like, no, no, no. I'm like, no, mom, mom, shh. <laughs> what are you doing? Because she felt bad. But I was like, mom, no. God has blessed them with a resource, and they want to serve you with it. So if God has given to you, then go give. If you're a great encourager, if you're a great prayer, if you're a great whatever, go do it. You hear what Paul's saying in Romans? He's like, then go do it. Go serve, go give, go prophesy, go teach. Use the gifts that God has given you. That's how you feed and lead yourself. Proverbs 13, four says this, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Basically mean the soul of someone who's lazy is always wanting, but they're never getting. Because they don't do anything, they just want. He says, but the soul of the diligent are richly supplied. So we need to be diligently practicing our gifts. Number four, to lead and feed yourself, keep a close watch on yourself. In verse 16, Paul is writing to Timothy, this young pastor in Ephesus. And he says this, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. This is such a wise verse. This is the wisdom that comes from God's word and the heart of God. He says, keep watch on yourself. Have you ever thought about the fact that everything that you read, everything that you watch, everything that you hear, everything that you eat, and everything that you do is either a blessing or a burden? It either draws you closer or draws you away from the Lord. Everything that we do, everything that we read, everything that we watch, either draws us closer to the Lord or draws us away from the Lord. And I think Paul knows this. He's telling this young man, Timothy, hey, watch yourself closely. Matthew 6, 22, I think we'll have it on the screens. Jesus says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? 
Like a lot of people say your eyes are the window to the soul. They're absolutely, they're absolutely right. You can look at someone's eyes and get a great read on their soul. Right? You can look at somebody and be like, you're smiling, but you're not smiling. That's the fake smile. Our eyes speak. And so what comes into us through our, our, our eyes and through our ears take rest in our hearts, and they start defining who we are. In Psalm 101.3, another great scripture about this idea of what, we're, what our eyes are, are putting in front of us on the screens, it says this, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. The eyes are important. The ears are important. And this is what it brings to my mind. I don't know why, but this is like a tangent that I have, but I thought I'd bring it to you. I wanted to offer you three questions that I think are good to ask ourselves when it comes to keeping a close watch on ourselves. The first question is this. What amuses me? What amuses me? Have you ever thought about what makes you laugh? What entertains me? Because that will definitely show us a little bit of ourselves that maybe we don't want to see. I'll be honest. I, I, I thought about this this week. I was like, man, I, there's a lot of things that I would not show on this screen in here that, that I laugh at. What amuses me? What entertains my heart? What do I laugh? What do I think is funny? Because a lot of that will show me the condition of my heart. And it reflects more than I honestly like to admit. So what amuses you? I've talked to people before, just in passing conversation, I've heard folks who I know are Christians talk about different shows that they watch. And I'm like, what? How, how do you watch that show? As a follower of Jesus. And say, you know what? This is going to edify my soul and lead me closer to Christ. It doesn't do that. Most of our entertainment, I look at like, why does that amuse me? Why do I laugh at that? Is that a heart that is clinging to the things of God or am I clinging to the things of this world? And so it's just a good question. What amuses me? Second question, what am I drawn to in times of distress, stress, confusion, or comfort? What am I drawn to? Where do I go? Where does my mind go? Where do my eyes go? Where does my body go? Where do I go? when I'm stressed, distressed, confused, worried. Because that will show you a little bit of the condition of your heart. What do I run to? Another good question, and this is just in general. Are these bringing me closer to the Spirit of God? Are these helping me or hurting me in my walk with the Lord? Is this entertainment that I'm putting on my TV drawing me closer to Christ or separating me from Christ? If I partake in this activity, is that drawing me closer to Christ or putting a barrier between me and the Lord? Just some good questions. I think they're, they're hard questions, but I think they're good questions to ask when Paul is telling Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Because I think he knows that a young man like Timothy leading a group of people in a town like Ephesus is going to be drawn to things 
that are not training in godliness. So you lead and feed yourself by keeping a close watch on your input and on your output. And lastly, number five, lead and feed yourself by persisting patiently. In verse, again in verse 16, he says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. The word persist means to continue firmly or um, obstinately on a course of action in spite of difficulty or opposition. Paul's telling Timothy, listen, buddy, there is going to be difficulty and opposition. Persist. Persist. We see him write in his letter to Galatians in chapter 6, verse 9, where he says, do not grow weary in doing good. Like in, in, in the Christian faith in the New Testament, you see time and time again Paul saying, listen, it will be difficult. There will be opposition. Persist. Persist in training yourself for godliness. Leading and feeding yourself is a marathon, not a sprint. It takes endurance, discipline, and persistence. Jesus says it in John 16, He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so as a Christian, I should expect opposition and difficulty. If my Savior was crucified on a cross, I should expect some bumps in the road. If it didn't go well for Jesus, if it didn't go easy for Jesus, then why would I expect life to be one smooth road? But I love that we serve a Savior in Jesus that acknowledges, hey, in this life you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome it. And so we can persist patiently on the marathon of life as we follow Christ, knowing that he is with us. In Proverbs 6, 6 through 11, we get this picture of an ant. And it says this, Go look at the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provision in summer and it gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When, you, when will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. Whew! Solomon's not messing around. He's saying, listen, what, what's it going to take? Look at the ant. It has no boss. It has no, no commander, and it does what it needs to do. It does its job so it can eat in the wintertime. What is it doing? The ant leads and feeds itself. It's not waiting for someone to do it for them. We lead and feed ourselves by persisting patiently. I think about this proverb, chapter 6, verse 6, 6 through 11, and I think of our boy Michael, who got sued by his parents to get out of the house. You have this guy. He's not leading and feeding himself. He is just sucking his parents dry. Taking and taking and taking to all of a sudden one day he gets served with papers by his parents to say, get out. 
And it's a sad story. Because in the end, my heart actually goes out to Michael. Because, yeah, it's silly and it is ridiculous and it's just a crazy story. But more than anything, it's just sad. We have a grown man who never grew up. He was taught all along that all he needs to do is exist and consume. Exist and consume. Respond to your urges and respond to your desires. That's all that you need to do. Which has led him to be a laughing stock of our country. Yeah, he's on TV, and yeah, there's a lot of articles being written about him, but because he's a fool. He's famous because he's a fool. And so my heart honestly breaks for this guy. Like, yeah, it's ridiculous and silly, but my heart breaks for him. Because somewhere along the way, not only has he been failed by other people, but he has never actually led and fed himself. It's called self-discipline. And I think my concern for me personally, for my children and for us tonight, is that we would be training ourselves in worldliness, not godliness. That we would become experts and connoisseurs of this world. And we would not be preparing or even thinking about the life after this world. That we're going to be successful. You guys, there's a lot of successful people in this room. You're climbing the ladder. You're making the money. You've got a solid job. What's going to happen when we get to the end and we've been successful at all the wrong things? And Paul is telling Timothy, my son, I love you and I care for you and I want it to go well for you. And so do these things. Step up and lead out. Devote yourself daily. Practice your gifts diligently. Keep a close watch on yourself. What goes into your ears and goes into your eyes? What are you watching? What amuses you? Watch yourself. Be careful, my son. Because there will be hard times, so persist. Paul calls Timothy and the church in Ephesus to do the hard work of training themselves in godliness. And for us, that starts with leading and feeding ourselves so that we can faithfully love and serve others, ultimately leading them to Christ. That's what we're about. As followers of Christ, we're about leading people to Jesus. And in order to do that, we need to do the hard work of self-discipline of leading and feeding ourselves and saying, you know what? God has called me. He has given me gifts. He's given me his word. I'm going to do the grown-up thing. I'm not going to be spoon-fed anymore. I'm going to dig into God's word, and I'm going to actually live it out. So here's what we're going to do here at the gathering. We end each talk with 120 seconds. Just to sit with what Paul has told Timothy. Maybe something resonated with you tonight. Maybe you're like, Andy, that was the worst talk you've ever given. That's fine. But we want to give you some time and some space, 120 seconds, just to sit, talk to the Lord, finish up your notes, whatever, pray. As always, our prayer team is going to be in the back. If you would like someone to pray with you or for you, whether it's about this or just something going on in your life, we want to offer that to you. They'll be in the back. they got little lanyards on. They're safe people. And they're wanting and waiting to pray with you. But I'm going to give you a couple questions to think about during this 120 seconds. Just some things to let ruminate in your head. Number one, how can you start leading and feeding yourself, spiritually speaking? 
How does that, what does that look like for you? Number two, what area of your life do you need to step up and lead instead of waiting for someone else to lead? Where do you need to step up and lead out? Third, what is your heart devoted to? And what is it feeding in you? Because whatever you feed is what will grow. What are you devoted to? Fourth, what gifts has God given you that you're not putting into practice? That you're laying dormant, convincing yourself that you're not good enough, God has not equipped you enough, somebody else will do it. What gifts has God given you that you're just ignoring or not stepping into? And, what, and maybe you need to step into that obedience tonight, into that gifting. And then lastly, what are you allowing in that amuses you that you need to confess and repent from? What are you allowing into your life, into your mind, that is feeding something that is drawing you away from the hope and love and mercy and grace of Christ? What is it? What, is, what are you allowing to amuse you that is feeding something and it's definitely not leading you to Jesus? Maybe tonight you need to confess that and repent from it. And repent just means to turn, to go, you know what, no more, I'm going this way. Again, our prayer team's in the back. If they can pray for you for any of these things, Maybe you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. They would love to talk to you about that because Jesus has not come to catch you in your sin. He has come to set you free from the sin that has caught you. And he has a plan for each and every one of you to walk in freedom from the sin that so easily entangles us. So I'll give you 120 seconds and then we'll worship again.